Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, January 17th, and we're talking about cars. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Auto Analyst, John Rosevier via Skype. How you doing, John? I'm doing great, Nick. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, I'm really excited about this show today. We've had a lot of news uh, coming out of the North American International Auto Show in Detroit, which I believe is still still going on. Uh, but first, I want to look back at 2018. We got some numbers out about the top-selling uh, vehicle models uh, from Car and Driver. Uh, so, out of the top 25 selling vehicles in North America, uh, the really the top three were pickup trucks. We had the Ford F Series with 900,000 units sold, just blowing out of the blowing out of the water. The next uh, the next closest performer, uh, which was the Chevy Silverado at 585,000 units sold. Um, another story we see in these numbers too is the death of the sedan. So, uh, you know. Uh, out of the uh, top 25 selling models, the first sedan came in at number seven, and the only U.S. sedan in the top 25 is the Ford Fusion, and that car is getting retired this year. John, what, what are you seeing out of these model numbers, and what, what trends can we pull out of that? Well, I think the death of the sedan is overstating things. I think people will there will always be people who want sedans, but certainly there are fewer of those people than there were eight, ten years ago, and this is this is a trend that has been going on for a while, and it actually predates the big drop in oil prices that we saw earlier in the decade. It's that uh, it's crossovers, uh, which is an SUV-shaped vehicle designed on uh, a sedan-style architecture, so it's unibody rather than truck-based, so that instead of riding like a truck, it rides like a big car. It gets fuel economy more like a car and so forth. We started to see these emerge 10, 15 years ago. Um, I mean, some people will point to Subaru and say, well, Subaru's been doing crossovers all along. But but sort of the idea, you know, the current Explorer, when it came out, uh, moved away from um, the old pickup truck base to a, a unibody base. It actually shared a, an architecture with the uh, now defunct Ford Taurus sedan. People love these things. They offer, you know, the ride uh, the ride that they're used to. And and in a sedan, they don't ride like trucks. They don't bounce like crazy. Uh, they aren't designed for heavy cargoes, so they don't have to have the stiff springs and so forth. Uh, they get somewhat better fuel economy. But you're you know you're sitting higher up. You feel safer. They they often have all wheel drive. Uh, if you live in snow country. Country or, or places where it rains a lot or, or someplace where the roads are, are rough. Uh, those are all advantages. It's got more room for your stuff in back. Your kids have more elbow room than they would if you stuff three of them in the back of a midsize sedan. It, it, people love them. They're eating them up. And, and crossover sales have boomed. And this isn't just a U.S. thing. Chinese customers love crossovers. They're selling huge over there. And even in Europe, where gasoline is heavily taxed and people have forever chosen smaller vehicles. Well, smaller crossovers are picking up. And uh, smaller hatchbacks and sedans and um, what they call MPVs in Europe, which is like a mini minivan. Uh, imagine, uh, well, folks who remember the Ford C-Max, that was that sort of vehicle, uh, where it looks kind of like a cross between a, a small station wagon and a minivan, that kind of thing. Sales of those things are falling down as more people in Europe now even choose crossovers. So, I mean, this is a global trend. I don't think it's going to completely eliminate sedans, but given that vehicle per vehicle, you can generally get higher margins on a crossover than a sedan, uh, especially right now where the demand is, a lot of automakers are moving to crossovers uh, because that's what the customers want right now. Yeah, you know, I don't blame them. We've got a lot of stuff. Yeah. I want room for my stuff. Uh, yep. Can you talk just for a minute about you know how dominant the F Series is when it comes to trucks? You know, the number one performing uh, seller last year, and as I mentioned, you know, they they blew the next closest 
uh, uh, vehicle out of the water by you know over three hundred thousand units. You know, how dominant is that is that F series truck? You know, in that market. Uh, well, of course it's dominant. It's been king for years. Um, one thing I am going to point out and hang on a second while I pull up some sales numbers uh, is that really with GM, when we talk about GM, we have to count. Uh, the Chevy Silverado and the GMC Sierra together. The Sierra is the Silverado's upscale sibling. Uh, they're all built on the same architecture. They're all built in the same factory. And together they cover most of the same bases that, that uh, Ford does with the F-150 and the F-Series Super Duty models in that uh, you can option up a Super Duty to like almost $100,000 now. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and if you say, oh wow, that's Sierra, Sierra Denali money, sure, and those vehicles compete. Uh, so, you know, GM sold a little over, almost 220,000 Sierras last year. So when you add those in, uh, you know, say 785, say 805 for GM. So the gap isn't as drastic. I mean, yes, Ford had a clear win. Uh, Ford seems to know its truck customers better than, than, uh, you know, the guys in Detroit do, uh, they have had this going for a long time. They have tremendous brand loyalty. Uh, they spend a lot of money keeping the F-Series products uh, up to date. They have lots of thoughtful features that the other guys are, are traditionally scrambling to catch up on. Uh, GM pickups have their loyalists. Uh, Ram pickups have their loyalists. For a long time, uh, the the last generation Ram was, was an, for a pickup, an unusually smooth riding vehicle. People would go on test drives and be like, Oh, this is nice, you know, because it had a different rear suspension design. Uh, so it, Ram has its loyalists too, and they, they all have something to offer. But Ford has been able to capture uh, dominant share in this market for what forty years now, or something like that, um, maybe longer. <laughs> you know, going back to the early nineteen seventies, uh, they've been the big player here, and and they will protect that, uh, and that drives a lot of their bottom line. Yeah, I mean it's a huge, uh, huge model model for them. Uh, let, let's talk about you know what we heard out of Ford in, in this uh, you know the past few weeks. You know whether it's in the, the auto show in Detroit or otherwise, and you know the big vehicle release. You mentioned the Explorer going to a crossover model. We're hearing about the 2020 Explorer that it was just unveiled. You know what are we seeing out of this vehicle? What, what what's special about it, and why is it a big deal for the company? Uh, the big deal for the company is that they sold lots and lots and lots and lots of the last generation Explorers. Uh, but it got tired. It got old. I mean, this is this is what happens. New uh, uh, other rivals who are who are also very good at this game bring out their new stuff, and 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 the Explorer was losing ground in the last year or two, frankly, to the Toyota Highlander, uh, which is a more recent, fresher uh, product that Toyota lavished with attention and features and and brought out at Toyota's usual value price. Uh, it was time for something new. It was maybe a little past time for something new, but they, they, something new they have come out with. Uh, is at least on paper, it's a winner. Uh, it looks great. It's a little bigger than the outgoing model, uh, not so big as to be cumbersome to park, like it won't fit in your garage or anything, uh, but you can get a little more cargo in back. The rear seat passengers have a little more leg room. Uh, the interior has, has is, is a little nicer. The whole thing is a little lighter, a little nimbler, gets better fuel economy. It's built on a brand new architecture, uh, that starts as rear-wheel drive, although I predict that most Explorers will be ordered in all-wheel drive configuration, just as they always have been. But that allows a little different packaging, a little different stance, uh, a little less weight up front, so a little more balance. Um, they are promising that this new Explorer uh, will be better off-road 
uh, in part because of its rear-wheel drive architecture than the outgoing model was. Um, that they, 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 that they're bringing you more of the brawny SUV-ness without giving up sort of the car-like handling and features of the old Explorer. Uh, it, it, it's it's another case where where Ford does market research that's that's in some instances deeper than just about anybody, and it's another case where where they really got to know. The product, what the pro, what the winning product would look like, and they they've done something that they think is going to be a very strong entry, and I'm sure it's going to sell like hotcakes. I mean, it looks good. It's everything people want on paper. Uh, they delivered. Uh, there's also a hybrid. If you're concerned about fuel economy, uh, the hybrid uh, has an EPA estimated 500 mile range, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, there's also a high performance uh, Explorer as Ford. Uh, delivers on its promise to bring out more performance vehicles because they can ask higher prices and get fatter margins on them. Um, and also because people want them. It's it's 400 horsepower. It's I think it's the engine that is standard in the Explorer's upscale cousin, the Lincoln Aviator, which is also coming out soon. Um, and, and it promises a top speed over 140 miles an hour. Uh, that'll be an interesting product. It will be interesting to see how well that does. Uh, they did this with the Edge not long ago, and that has been selling well in early days, the Edge ST. So we'll see how the Explorer does. It's an interesting idea. Yeah, you, you got to give the people what they want, John. And as we said, you know, mm -hmm. I, I know I mentioned the top three sellers, uh, you know, last year were trucks. Well, the next three were SUVs and crossovers. So it, it, it's mm -hmm. what the people are buying. Let's give them what they want. Uh, the other one more, one more note about that. I bet I haven't looked at the list uh, from car and driver specifically, but I bet the next three crossovers, the next those top three crossovers were all compact. Um, of note, Ford has a new Escape coming later this year. That's going to fight with uh, vehicles like the Honda CRV and Toyota Rav4 um, and, and the Nissan Rogue, which has sold in huge numbers. That thing has been a big success for them. Uh, that's a that's the white hot category right there, re almost replacing midsize sedans, the, the compact crossovers. Yeah, just to follow through on that, John, the number four was the Toyota Rav4. Number five is the Nissan Rogue. Number six, the Honda CRV. So I think you yep. nailed it, nailed it right yep. on the head. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about uh, the other big news that we've we've heard out of Ford, and that's this alliance uh, with Volkswagen. Uh, they're saying that they're going to share manufacturing resources for medium-sized pickup trucks and VW's uh, city vans, and they're kind of kind of going to share resources. And uh, what 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 do, you, what do you have to say about this deal? What what's interesting about it? Um. It's an interesting deal. I, I, I think VW uh, did well out of this. I mean, they're getting Ford to basically build them a badge-engineered version of the Ranger uh, and uh, some commercial vans for that they can sell in markets where they are strong and Ford is not in those things, um, which, you know, is a clear win. Uh, for VW's dealers in those regions, certainly, uh, it may be a win for Ford as well. We don't know the numbers. Uh, <laughs> you know, we don't know how much VW is paying for these privileges and how much the vehicles will sell for. Uh, in, and VW is for now returning um, the favor with their little city vans. I think what's more interesting is is looking a couple steps further down the road. I think you know, you know automakers have done deals like this for years and years. Um, you know, I, I, you need a pickup to sell in, in South America. We make tons of pickups. We'll make you some pickups, that kind of thing. You know, and money changes hands. This is, this is not revolutionary. What's revolutionary is that uh, VW and Ford are saying this isn't a merger. There's going to be no 
equity ownership changing hand. Nobody's taking control of either, but we are exploring other areas to cooperate as well. And that may include um, self-driving vehicles and, and electric vehicles. Uh, VW is very far along in developing a modular architecture for electric vehicles. They're gonna start rolling them out very soon, actually. We may see one before the end of the year, and we're gonna see more over the next few years. They are ramping up a whole supply chain, which is why it takes time. Uh, Ford is not, at least not visibly quite as far along in being ready to roll out a slew of electric vehicles all over the world. I mean, VW has been very loud about developments. Um, there are sort of two ways that automakers go when talking about the future. Either they tell you in great detail about their plans or they say nothing and it just shows up. And it's not clear where Ford fits in, in in this, but it does appear that VW is substantially further along in rolling out mass market electric vehicles at scale. Uh, Ford uh, via... Um, a company called Argo AI, in which it has a hefty stake, uh, is it, it, Argo AI is essentially the, the software department of its self-driving vehicle venture, uh, outsourced sort of because it has a hefty stake in Argo AI. But part of the part of the premise with Argo AI is that it may have other automaker investors, clients in time. I think it's very possible that we, we could see Audi, which is a subsidiary of VW, investing in Argo AI, for instance. Um, it is possible that Ford is further along. A lot of a lot of what who a lot of sort of the horse race in autonomous vehicles uh, is very opaque because people only tell you certain things. It does appear, most people agree Waymo is in the lead. GM is not too far behind, and then there are a whole bunch of other players who may or may not be close. Uh, Argo AI has recently appeared to be fairly far along, um, and VW perhaps less so. And and. That may be something where VW says, you know, we can we can gain 18, 24, 30 months uh, in getting self-driving Audis out there if we jump in with Ford here. You know, I, I don't know the specifics, but I'm guessing something like that has been discussed at high levels in VW and that that is part of their motivation for being in this deal. Where Ford might be, hey, you know, we can if we can borrow some of VW's uh, architecture or supply chain or battery packs or something, we might be able to get electric vehicles out in places like China and Europe where demand is likely to be strong for them in the next few years uh, more quickly than we might otherwise. So I think there's a lot of that kind of thinking going on in here. And I, I think um, in thinking about this deal, looking past the pickup truck and commercial vans, uh, which are sort of straightforward and things that automakers have done back and forth for a long time to the the, the deeper technology stuff that everybody is spending a fortune on. And I'm sure this is what Jim Hackett is thinking. Like, why do we all have to spend a zillion dollars to develop self-driving technology from scratch? Why can't we sort of team up? And 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 VW is receptive to those talks for uh, because perhaps that's where they feel they're behind some folks. Right. And this isn't the first, you know, one of these partnerships on, you know, EVs and AAVs that we've seen, you know, earlier, you know, just in the past year, Honda and GM tied up with Honda making a substantial investment in Cruise, I believe $2.75 billion. So, you know, you mentioned. Yeah. Also, also on EVs, Honda is going to buy battery packs from GM. Um, they said uh, GM is spending a lot of money to gear up to produce its own, what they're calling the next generation electric vehicles. Uh, with a with a battery pack that is smaller, lighter, more energy dense than what they're using in, for instance, the Chevy Bolt, and Honda has signed up to buy some of those, uh, which gives GM added scale to to 
you know, drive down costs with its suppliers and gives Honda, well, that's one fewer thing we have to engineer from scratch when we roll out electric vehicles. So that kind of partnership can work out well if the companies are on the same page and work well together. Yeah, I think this is this is definitely going to be a trend we're going to see continue to play out because, you know, the, the R&D expense and just the, the infrastructure expense to really scale up on these these new categories of vehicles is substantial. Um, let's talk about uh, what else we've heard from Ford. Uh, you know, we, we got their preliminary 2018 results and we got some 2019 guidance out of them. Uh, kind of one thing that I want to, you know, that I, I noticed is, you know, their adjusted operating uh, profit margin is about half of GMs at 4.4%. Um, you know, they, they had um, some sales declines in China that that may have hurt hurt their performance. What are you seeing out of those preliminary results in 2018, and what are we looking at going into 2019 based on their guidance? Uh, Ford's got a lot of work to do. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, 2018 was the year of uh, where things kind of snowballed on Ford. Um, rising commodity costs hurt them. This is the tariffs on steel and aluminum. Um, they rolled out a new model. Uh, Fiesta, which is their bestseller in Europe, uh, it sold well, but but uh, rivals were aggressive on pricing, and they weren't quite able to get the margins on it that they had hoped for because they had to, you know, not push as hard as they would have liked on pricing. Uh, meanwhile, they're also spending a lot of money in Europe in 2018 because they're now launching the new Focus, uh, which is their other big selling model in Europe, very important, and and so that's a cost. Uh, China, sales in China fell off a cliff, and, and they've got a dramatic retooling ahead of them there. Fortunately, they know that, and they've gotten started on it. Uh, they had uh, The problem with Ford in China seems to be that the people running the operation did not have the deep knowledge of the China market that they should have. They were you know, global executives who were sort of rotated into this for a few years and then rotated to something else. Uh, they, if Ford has fixed that. They hired... Uh, Anning Chen, who was uh, the CEO of a Chinese automaker, Cherry, and he has come in and he has brought in uh, a senior team, uh, many of whom are, are Chinese and some of whom are not Chinese, but are, who have spent many years in the country, were fluent in the language, and more importantly, in the nuances of consumer tastes in the auto market. Uh, it seems to be a much more sensitively tuned operation emerging now than Ford has ever had in China. Uh, and they have promised a slew of new products between now and 2025. They've got a couple of them out already. The new Focus is arriving in China. Um, the Focus, the last generation Focus, did very well for Ford in China uh, several years ago, but it became old news in China. One of the problems in China is because there are so many competitors there. Every automaker you've ever heard of does business in China, and then there are a slew of domestic Chinese automakers. For a consumer, that means there's always something new. It means if you let the focus hang around for six or seven years, it's old news. <laughs> you know, it's it's ancient history. Why'd you buy that old car? You know, when you could have had something much newer and nicer with the latest technology that's a little lighter or that's just you know styled differently. Uh, Ford has to be able to play at that pace. GM has been able to play at that pace for a while. Uh, they need to just tailor their products better for China and have more of them and and freshen them more frequently. Uh, there were deeper problems with distribution in their dealer network that they have worked through. Uh, a lot of the pain in 2018 in China was due to those problems. Ford's wholesale shipments in China were way down because dealers were selling off the excess inventory they'd built up. Uh, they were selling it cheap, <laughs> you know, which, which, which hurt them, and Ford was, was helping them out there some, I think. Um, so China was a big mess. 
in the U.S., the F-Series continues to do very well and deliver good, good results. They're getting good prices for it. They're getting good margins for it. Uh, of course, sedan sales have fallen way off. And because the Explorer and Escape were at end of life, they weren't getting the premium pricing and the premium margins and the sales numbers relative to things like, like as mentioned, the Toyota Highlander um, was not quite eating the Explorer's lunch, but it was nibbling at the salad. And, <laughs> and so, you know, it was just time for, it, it is time for a new Explorer and a new Escape. And when they get those things in place and launched and are past the launch costs later this year into next year, uh, assuming the market holds up, you will see noticeable improvement um, just from that alone. And then they're filling out, they're bringing more SUVs to market uh, to fill things out uh, here and in China and to some extent in Europe. Uh, there are a whole bunch of new SUVs coming. There is uh, the newest, it's almost like they've split the escape in half for the next generation. There will be a new escape, uh, which will be sort of sleeker and more tailored to urban sensibilities. And then there will be a similarly sized, perhaps sharing the architecture, uh, small rowdy off-roader. Uh, this is not the Bronco. This is one size down from the Bronco. The name they have thrown around for it is Maverick, though I understand that is not definite. Uh, there is also the Bronco itself coming, which is more explorer-sized, as I've heard it, uh, although I don't know any more details on the Bronco than anybody else does. It is one of the most uh, asked about upcoming Fords that I've seen in quite a while. There's a lot of interest in it. Uh, the Ranger is now out and has begun shipping, the midsize pickup. Uh, so there, there's another SUV coming that is a, a high-performance electric SUV. That's coming next year. Uh, Ford promises 300-mile range and uh, acceleration that will most certainly get your attention. It sounds almost like they're aiming to sell you ludicrous mode for a lot less than Tesla sells it. <laughs> it's, it, it, it. It's clearly on their minds, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, here, here is the $40,000 Model X that, that zooms like crazy, something like that. I mean, I mean that, that, would be, that would be classic Ford, really. You know, you introduce something new and cutting edge, we're going to bring it to everybody. That's, 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 that's the ancient Ford playbook, and it still works. Yeah, and uh, you know, as you mentioned Tesla, one thing I do want to call out is that Ford is is uh, signaling uh, they're going to release an electric and a hybrid F series truck and a uh, and the the Transit van, which you'll, you'll you might see uh, you know if a contractor comes to work on your home, you know that that'll be what they bring all their equipment in is the Transit van. So I mean, we've we've heard about Tesla talking about doing a, a pickup truck, you know, Ford's coming out with you know the. The F series, which is the, you know the standard uh, when it comes to pickup trucks in the U.S. in an electric model uh, in the near future. Well, let's back up a little bit. This was a passing comment uh, from Jim Farley, who is Ford's global markets chief, uh, more or less second in command at Ford, uh, in a presentation to analysts yesterday. Uh, he said, "We've got hybrid and full battery electric F-150 and Transit coming." And, and that was pretty much all he said. Uh, Ford, we know Ford has a hybrid. F-150 coming. It's coming next year. It is a no-brainer that they would do a hybrid uh, Transit. The Transit is the world's best-selling commercial van. It's not just the thing your plumber drives in the United States. They sell tons of these in Europe in several different sizes. Uh, they sell them in China. It's one thing that has done well for them in China. I mean, th these things get sold all over the world. It is the world's best-selling commercial van. Um, and that's something else where Ford makes a lot of money and they're going to defend it. <laughs> and, and one way they're going to defend it is by having hybrid and, in time, full battery electric. Uh, what they have said about the idea of a full electric F-150 
uh, is really not much more than we will have it when we think our customers are ready to buy it. And former uh, CEO Mark Fields, uh, former CEO Mark Fields, said to me in an aside a few years ago when I was talking to him, he said, we've got to kind of lead our customers, especially our truck customers, to electrification. So it's going to be a process. And we, we have this whole roadmap sketched out to get there. But you know, these are not people who are going to be Tesla early adopters. These are folks who buy their trucks. They like their trucks. You know, they get the newest and most up-to-date truck. Uh, said, so, but we had to do some education around the alumina body panels because that was a big change. It worked for us. We did well. Uh, we are confident that we can get them uh, to uh, accept and even prefer electric trucks once we show them there are clear advantages, but we have to do that incrementally over time. Uh, what they're doing with electrification generally now, like the hybrid F-150 will have a bunch of stuff uh, that goes way beyond fuel efficiency. Uh, one of the things they've already talked up is you'll have the ability to kind of use it as a generator. So when you're going to the job site, you don't have to throw the generator in the back anymore because you can just plug into the hybrid's battery and use that. <laughs> to, you know, <laughs> to power your tools or whatever for a few hours. And, 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 and they're talking up advantages like that. And, and what I've said for a while is when you can in your head hear one of those Ford ads with Dennis Leary giving the snarky talk about an electric F-150 and how it'll, you know, pull your stumps out and haul more of your junk and all of that stuff, you know, that's what's coming. And when you hear that on Sunday afternoon during a football game, you'll know that, okay, electric vehicles are now mass market. <laughs> yeah, It's just, you know, that's going to be it. That's going to be, it. It, when Ford does it, they will only do it uh, when they think they have the right product and when they think people are ready to buy it in quantity. And when they do it, I mean, that, that'll be like, okay, the world is going electric now, <laughs> or at least America is going electric now. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be next year or the year after. It's not going to be on the timeline that the Tesla fans might like. Uh, I, I, I can say with high confidence based on Ford's track record and what I know about the extensive research they do on truck stuff. When it arrives, it'll be good. But I, I couldn't tell you whether that's 2021 or 2026 at this point. They may not know for sure either. Yeah, and, and just want to want to call out too before we move on to GM, you know, uh, Ford, you know, they're really turning over their lineup. They have they have some good vehicles we looked that are coming down the line, but they are undergoing some restructuring uh, in Europe. Uh, you know, that's going to include some plant closures and some layoffs. This is, you know, you know, GM abandoned their their European operations uh, back in 2017. You know, Ford is having some issues in Europe as well, retiring some vehicles. Um, you know, we're we're expecting that we're going to see a reorg in South America as well. So something to keep in mind. Uh, uh, you know, when, when we're paying attention to that business. Um, but let, let's move on to GM uh, and, and talk about what they're doing. And I actually want to hit forward one more thing we didn't talk about, which is just their 2019 guidance is, we think everything is going to improve. We don't know how much of it's going to improve in 2019. They didn't give, I, I, I mean, usually when a company comes out with guidance, they say, you know, we expect adjusted earnings share to be between X and Y. They didn't do any of that. They didn't give any numbers. Uh, they said, you know, we have a lot of things in motion, but Brexit could knock us off track, more tariffs could knock us off track, uh, or they could work out in, in ways that help us. And we don't know that yet, so we're not telling you anything right now in terms of specific numbers. We're telling you what we're doing and that we're confident it's going to yield improvements, which 
on the one hand, it's very frustrating, but on the other hand, well, you know, that's fair. They're giving you the real story. <laughs> right. I so, mean, you, you've got geopolitical yeah. events with Brexit. You yep. have, you know, uh, sales that declined in China, I believe, for the first time since 1990. So we're seeing some macroeconomic uh, turnover as well. So something to keep in mind with these guys. I do think, I do think Ford ha- has some interesting things coming down the pipeline to open up uh, uh, some opportunities for them. So now let's talk about what's going on uh, with GM. So GM is also just like Ford coming out with, with a new SUV, the Cadillac ST, XT6. It's a three-row crossover on the same platform as the Chevy Traverse and the Buick Enclave. What I thought was interesting about this car is it doesn't have GM Super Cruise included. You know, we've, I think we've only seen that in one vehicle so far. You would think with these new models coming out, they're really going to push out the Super Cruise. What, 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 what is your takeaway on, on you know Super Cruise not being in this vehicle? Give them six months. <laughs> Uh, no, they're, 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 uh, they have promised that uh, it's going to roll out across the Cadillac lineup, I think, over the next 18 months or something, and then eventually uh, will be available on lots of different GM vehicles around the world. Uh, I, I think they just weren't ready to talk it up yet. I mean, I, it will not surprise me if there's a press event in September and they show you the Super Cruise XT6. Uh, interestingly, this this is going to compete not really so much with the Explorer, but with the Lincoln Aviator, which is the Explorer's upscale sibling. Uh, Ford showed that last year. Um, Interesting comparison. The Aviator has a lot more power and more dramatically different styling. Uh, It will be interesting to see how they fare against one another. Yeah, again, it's it's going after that that you know crossover SUV market that, that really people are eating up right now. The the other thing we saw released uh, from Cadillac um, that is really was really interesting to me is some renderings for a new electric crossover. We don't know the name of it yet, but it's really a sleek looking vehicle. Uh, you know, looks you know kind of like it would fit in that that Tesla model. Um, do we have any idea about a timeline for that, or, or you know what, anything about that car beyond these renderings that we've seen so far? So we've known for a while that GM is working on a brand new electric vehicle architecture uh, that that promises more range at lower cost uh, than what they use for the Bolt, which at this point really is a few years old if you go back to where they first started developing it in conjunction with their partner, LG Chem. Uh, This next generation, uh, the battery pack has many improvements. It's lower, it's smaller, it's more energy dense. Uh, it, It will be more amenable to fast recharging. Uh, There are other improvements to the architecture and so forth that will allow a wide variety of vehicles to be built off this. Um, They are ramping up, as VW is doing, as all of the big automakers are doing, they're ramping up their supply line and so forth. They have promised a whole bunch by 2023. We don't know for sure when the first one will arrive. What we have learned here is that the first one is going to be a Cadillac crossover. Uh, 2021-ish is what uh, Steve Carlisle, Cadillac president, uh, said the other day. Um, they don't want to be pinned to that because there are a lot of balls in the air that are about just ramping the supply line. I mean, people talk about, we need electric vehicles now. For instance, uh, there has not been enough lithium coming out of the ground to make the batteries for electric vehicles and the quantities people are hoping for. All of this has to ramp. Mining operations have to ramp. Uh, it, Cell factories have to ramp, and then and then the suppliers themselves. We got to make more electric motors. We've got to uh, set up facilities to assemble cells into battery packs. We've got to decide which kinds of cells work best in vehicles long term. That kind of testing has been happening. Um, you know, we can't just flip a switch and and you know build five million a year. This is all ramping up slowly. Uh, the reason GM can't 
pin themselves to a date on this thing yet is probably because there are moving parts out of their control. And, and they, they anticipate that things are going to happen uh, you know, by a certain deadline when they say we'll have a bunch by 2023. They may have most of them out by 2022, uh, or they may scrape to get the last couple out in December <laughs> so that they can meet you know, what they promised. Uh, there, there has to be, at this point, with a lot of the automakers' vagueness around uh, high-volume electric vehicle plans, that will start to change a lot over the next year. And we'll, when we have more visibility into when things will arrive, I think we're going to hear a lot more specifics, uh, like at next year's auto shows. Yeah, and a plug for our show next week. I'm going to have Tim Byers on. We're going to be talking about the battery market, all those things you mentioned. Uh, you know, lithium has to come out of the ground, all those sorts of things. Um, let's talk about, uh, you know, what the numbers that GM has released. They they recently uh, raised their guidance for 2018 um, up above, you know, the, the high end of their range. And they, uh, you know, gave a extremely upbeat or, you know, surprisingly upbeat EPS guidance uh, for 2019 in the range of six fifty to seven dollars, which the average analyst estimate was below six dollars. So we're really seeing, looking back 2018 and looking forward to 2019, uh, the GM is very bullish on their operations. Uh, what what are you seeing in those uh, those kind of releases GM has sent out? Uh, GM feels that it's done a lot of the work that uh, that some other companies are now doing. Um, you know, they, they do want to sort of reduce their manufacturing footprint a little bit in the United States, and that we know about that, uh, that they announced plant closures and so forth in November. Um, some of that can best be understood as they are opening negotiations with the UAW. Every four years, uh, the UAW renews its contracts with the three uh, Detroit automakers. That's coming up this summer. So there's a lot of dancing going around that. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and so we don't know exactly what's going to happen there. Uh, the reasonable assumption is that uh, the union folks will get some of what they want and GM will get some plants closed. Um, because, uh, you know, that's how the negotiations generally shake out. They, they did do well. Uh, they are coming in at the top end of their guidance range for 2018, they've said, uh, or maybe a bit above the top end of their guidance range. And they give this nice range, 650 to 7 per share uh, for 2019. Uh, few things are happening there. Uh, their crossovers, uh, they were spending a lot of money to revamp their whole line of crossovers up and down. Most of those vehicles are out now. Uh, the X-T6 will be one of the last of that cycle. But, you know, the... The Chevys and, and the Buicks are selling, and they're selling around the world. And Well, they're selling in the U.S. and China anyway, and they're selling well, uh, and they're delivering good profits. Uh, GM, GM has is, is, is been riding on those. GM has new pickups out that'll deliver better profits. Next up come its big truck-based SUVs. This is things like the Suburban and the Escalade and uh, you know the GMC Yukon, uh, Chevy Tahoe. Those are... Not the ginormous sellers that they were 20 years ago, but they but they still sell in big numbers. GM owns that market. They have like a 70-something percent share of big truck-based SUVs in the United States. They're very profitable. Uh, they have all new versions coming built on their all-new truck architecture. Uh, after that, there will be presumably all-new midsize pickups as well. So they have more products coming out. Uh, that will command higher prices and deliver better margins once they're fully launched than than. Uh, than the vehicles they replace. They've also got a slew of new products, and I don't know what they all are yet. Uh, coming to China this year, they promised something like 20 new or revamped products in China uh, in 2019. And that will also, uh, whatever happens to the Chinese 
new car market as a whole, uh, GM will be relatively well positioned. <laughs> you know, I mean, if sales go down 30%, sales go down 30%. Uh, but of the remaining sales, GM will be well positioned to get uh, their share and then some. Um, yeah, in, term, in, in terms, I just want to say one last thing about GM. In terms of earnings per share guidance, we've also got to remember GM's been buying back a lot of shares, so there are fewer shares to divide the earnings among. One thing I want to call out uh, about GM as well, from from a profit point of view, is what's going on with GM Financial. It seems like mm-hmm. it's really starting to turn a corner and start pumps pumping some cash into GM as opposed to you know kind of reinvesting their cash in, into that arm of the business. Can you explain uh, to our listeners kind of what GM? Um, financial does and and kind of what opportunities it gives for the business from a profit point of view. Well, it's a bank. Um, you know, when when you hear on TV those ads where an automaker is offering you low cost financing uh, as an alternative to cast back, that is usually coming from what we call their captive finance arms. Uh, the, these these are banks wholly owned by the automakers uh, that both provide consumer loans and leasing contracts, uh, as well as financing to dealers, what we call floor plan financing, which is, you know, they buy 300 cars from GM and they can finance them for the month or two, it ta- for the, well, three or four months it might take to turn them over or something like that. Uh, Ford, Ford Credit uh, has, has been a substantial source of cash for Ford over the last several years. Uh, GM, as part of its breakdown in the last decade, sold off its longtime uh, uh, captive financing unit. It spun it off. General Motors Acceptance Corporation, which is now LA Financial. Uh, what they did after their bankruptcy was they bought um, basically a subprime lender, a subprime auto lender, uh, and retooled it. I mean, they used the infrastructure and the people and so forth. I mean, they've moved away from subprime. Um, the, the portfolio, the loan portfolio, is now pretty high quality. Uh, Thankfully, <laughs> I mean, we worry about some of that stuff, but no, it's it's fine. Uh, they've greatly expanded its operations in China. Um, now, when you expand a bank, you have to put up capital because they, you know, they lend against. Uh, you, you have to have some multiple of the actual capital they have. Uh, so they've been uh, like Ford uh, putting. GM Financial's profits more or less back into the business to expand the lending base. Uh, now they're at the point where they think they can take out cash, uh, which means more cash flow goes into GM proper and can be used for things like developing electric vehicles uh, or alternatively for paying dividends and buying back stock. <laughs> so, right. Uh, you know, yeah. So, uh, yeah. In uh, the fourth quarter of 2018, they instituted the first annual dividend to GM. We mentioned in the first half of the show. Uh, talking about Ford, about how you know it, it takes a lot of cash to really develop these new emerging technologies like EVs and, and autonomous vehicles. So having that sw- you know kind of uh, switch they can flip uh, to bring some more cash into the business is really valuable from that point of view. Um, and, I, and I do want to talk before we go away. Let's talk about what's going on with Cruise. Um, we we uh, you know we still expecting Cruise to roll out. Um, in uh, 2019, we don't know where it's going to be. Uh, do we have any ideas about? You know when it might launch th- this year, and, and you know what geographies it might be limited in, or, or you know launched in. Uh, the smart bunny is betting that San Francisco will be the first city, <laughs> because I mean they're already all over the place in San Francisco doing their testing. They might as well just start there. Uh, they have tried to institute a presence in New York. They actually have a facility. Um, it's down. It, 
it's actually not far from where GM's New York Cadillac headquarters was. It's down toward Tribeca at the lower end of the West Village. Um, they, they have been going around and around with politicians over whether they can actually operate these things. And of course, in New York, uh, you get a whole lot of the, we don't need killer robot cars on the roads, et cetera, et cetera. So there's going to have to be some education there. Uh, whereas in San Francisco, they're used to these things at this point. So it, it makes sense to just roll it out there. Um, I, that said, I don't know for sure what GM's plans are. I also wouldn't be surprised to see them in Detroit, frankly. Uh, start operating in Detroit. Uh, because GM's home, right? I mean, you know, if we're going to have the auto business here and self-driving cars are the latest thing, let's let's make sure that visitors to Detroit can experience this. It, may, it would make a lot of sense. Um, as for whether it'll happen in 2019, what I know is that they made a lot of improvements in 2018. Uh, they released a video, an in-car video, and invited us to compare it to the one they did a year earlier. And uh, sure enough, uh, the car drives a whole lot better and handles a lot of situations better. Is it 100% ready? No, not quite. And they, they're, they're honest about that. Uh, Dan Ammon, who was GM's president, has sort of moved to take over Cruise. Uh, and, and, and he's saying, you know, they're on track, but the gating factor is safety and we'll release it when it's ready. You know, we think that's 2019. We hope it's 2019. We're not going to rush it. If it turns out to be 2020, that's fine. We want it to be safe. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting thing to follow. You know, as you said earlier in the show, you know, Cruise is, is viewed to be, you know, kind of number two behind Waymo when it comes to autonomous vehicle development. GM is really putting a lot of chips on the board when it comes to EVs and autonomous vehicles. They they totally got rid of their, their hybrids this year, are really pushing hard um, into EVs. So it, uh, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Uh, Cruise is already a significant part of uh, you know GM's business. It's valued at fifteen billion dollars. So I mean, I mean, what's that? That's about a third of the market cap, maybe of the, of the whole company. So it's a significant portion of the company. Definitely something to watch, and definitely something we'll keep following uh, when uh, when we have you on, John. All right, all right. Thanks so much um, for coming on. And you know, uh, for folks that have any questions or want to reach out to us on Twitter, you know, you can find our information in the description. Also. Uh, check out Stock Up. It's our weekly newsletter where we share some of the best stuff from around fool.com. I'll also drop a link to that in the description of the show. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For John Rosevere, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.